Hey everybody, welcome to D20 Questions, where we teach you how clerical werewolves attack with their wisdom teeth. <laughs> oh, yes! Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, I am Zach, the blubbery skinitar at the center of the flabyrinth. I like skinitar <laughs> very much so. A blubbery center. It's always good to be the blubbery center of everything. Because yes. it could be fat, but it could also just be, uh, like welling up crying consistently in a ball well i don't know i am i am in the flabyrinth so that does uh... (laughs) so good all the walls are round um i am law i am the alternating wisdom and constitution saves that you need to get out of bed each day (laughs) and with us on this fine day is our very special guest mr kyle lang from ida woodworks hey thanks for having me fellas very very happy to do so yeah Yeah. it's all right (laughs) i uh that's it and it's uh my my phrase like let me see if i can come up with something i'm the splinter in your finger uh that is constantly telling you that you're doing it wrong (laughs) there you go so there we go nice well what are you working on right now what are your projects what's your thing well right now i'm actually between projects uh i'm making my workbench so i ran into a bunch of old naughty fur and I'm going to turn it into a big hand tool bench. Did you have to spank so it into gluing. shape? It was naughty oh, fur. Oh, yeah, naughty. It was naughty we, fur. I think we have conventions that are just for finding naughty fur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I I planed it up. I, I I was treating it real raw hot. with the planes. <laughs> I, What's uh, the term for I people who fuck it. trees? I can't remember. Uh, arborfile? Arbor, is that it? Really? It sounds, so. I mean, that What's sounds wrong? like the... What's no, wrong I, with tree fucker? Nothing. It's just I didn't <laughs> think we were going to lean right into it. <laughs> hey, when did, when did we as a society not agree on tree fucker anymore? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> This is just political correctness yes. gone awry. Yeah, so, uh, There's so yeah. so much low-hanging fruit for these tree puns that I'm not going to go over. <laughs> I'm just tying up boards and gluing them down right now. I want to say there's, like, a very, like, which came first, chicken or the egg thing with a crafter making his own craft bench that he's working on before the, the projects <laughs> begin. Yeah, I know. I feel guilty about it, too. It's not very uh, um, exciting, and making cool things that people want to be excited about for Dungeons and Dragons was uh, much more fun. So I jumped on that first and sure. then after I got a little scratch then I could uh I don't get my get my real workbench going. So tell us a little bit about Item Woodworks. Well, um I am the world's worst CNC machine and I'm not a laser <laughs> printer. Uh, mm-hmm. So I just make things out of wood by hand and that's kind of my calling card. I just want to make heirloom quality stuff uh, the best I can. Uh, and make it look handmade and really let the wood be the showcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, um, I don't know, that's my thing. And it it's uh, maybe I'm complaining about society in some way with modernization with that. Sure, sure. But uh, I, my skill is in my hands. It's not in my pocketbook. I don't have $15,000 for sure. uh, That should be on your business card. Yeah. And then you can use it for other services. I think, yeah, that should be something that I could say anytime. Like, hey, I'm poor. Come on. <laughs> the only 3D printing you do is in the bathroom. Yeah. That's right. Let's get Gross. some extrusion going. <laughs> I don't want to think oh, of myself man. as a 3D printer in the bathroom. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it sound, you made it sound like you're going from like ground zero, like starting with the new bench type thing. But I know for a fact you've made all kinds of real cool stuff. What are some of your cooler products you're more proud of? The things that I make, I try to have a little bit of theater, right? Dungeons & Dragons is all about the theater of the game. And, of and uh, you make a story together and it's sort of loud and boisterous. And so in some small element, I want my pieces to be theatrical. So I've got a box that holds dice or cards, but it's got a piston 
fit. So, you know, it when you close it, it rides a cushion of air. Sorry, I'm a 12-year-old brain. <laughs> That's okay. There's writing going on here. So, you know, like you take the box, and we have one here, which nobody can see, but, you know, it floats, and it goes That's down. So, so smooth. When God. you roll with it, you know, your character can have a bit of theater. And then I have a dice dungeon, which you can impress your dice in. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. a theatrical element. I've always thought the best role is a one, right? Just, I mean, everyone loves a one. Epic yeah. failure is the best role. But I'm getting so much, like, BDSM undertone with all of your problems. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That is. coming in strong. That is, yeah. It's, I always uh, wanted to be one of those wood guys, though, who, like, knows about it, can just, like, pick up, like, a, a cutting board or something and be like, oh, this is such a good walnut, and just, like, sniff it. Like, I appreciate it. When you hand one to me and tell me it's nice, it's like, yeah, this is absolutely gorgeous, but I'm not, like, intuitive. I'm not an intuitive well, woodist. Well, I know, I know that the two of you, for a fact, like to sniff lots of things, so don't <laughs> let wood, wood hold you yeah. back. Um, I'm sorry, just the idea that the first thing somebody says, look, mm, this is a good walnut. <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what people do. It. Although, if you sniff a cutting board that's been used, you're just going to smell, like, raw <laughs> avocados and onions and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so a little bit of theater and I guess a little bit of pressure with it with each thing. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So my, I have another box that sort of twists open. That's, uh, that's I saw that one. It's really cool. Yeah, I love the pivoting and the magneticy things. Those mm-hmm. are, excite me very much. Yeah, and then uh, I just do as much by hand, so I don't use very much energy, and I use all my offcuts. Wow, it sounds like you would use a ton of energy. Yeah, my own personal energy. So right. I guess the food that I eat. Right. You know, that's my energy. You your are company, the engine. Your, your, yeah. your company has just a fortune in overhead where food is concerned. Right. Jesus, the amount of avocados. <laughs> just shovel it in, all avocados. <laughs> you <laughs> should see my uh, poops. It's just <laughs> real. You're 3D printing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's extrusion. We'll just say yeah, it that yeah, way. Sure, so you're, sure. you're definitely doing it the old-fashioned way. Old-fashioned way. And, and I think it's worth keeping around. I really do. Definitely. And in the, the vein of the old-fashioned way, since we're all talking about gaming stuff here on D20 Questions, I, want, I thought it'd be fun to discuss some of the differences between, like, the old way of mm-hmm. gaming, you know, like, very early 80s, and even, like, early 90s, with now, like, these technology mm-hmm. jumps, there's so many new gizmos and apps and things, like, what are some of the biggest changes between the old way and the new way that you have witnessed in your life of gaming? Well, frankly, I think the number one way, and you tell me if you agree with this, fellas, is... Uh, I, will, I prefer to cultivate an air of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think the number one thing that's odd to me is that Dungeons & Dragons, to me, was all about misfits getting together for a collective storytelling eye-to-eye. And I meet a lot of people who play the game on Discord or online, and they don't even see each other. And that's sort of the weird new part of gaming for me, because I don't know if I could ever do a game sure. online. Have you, either of you ever done an online oh, yes. thing? I have not yet. Well, actually, no, I totally have. Um, but I got to say, the idea of misfits coming together to play D&D, it's a cool idea, but I got to say, when they were opening for the Ramones, it was a real boring way to spend three hours. Uh, I was, <laughs> was, was going to talk about the, the, the superhero British comedy. So oh, see, there you go. Different okay. misfits. <laughs> but yeah, I've done, I've done the Roll20 <clears throat> Fantasy Ground stuff, but I also have friends that I grew up with all over the country, which kind of... There's already years and years of social contact and understanding with each other. So when we sit down at a computer, it's really just not being next to each other, but we still have that same energy. But that said, it's like like online poker. Like you're supposed to be able to like read bluffs and there's like emotion that's transmitted through people's faces and you don't get that. Which, you know, you still get the basic experience, but there is something missing there, like, I, for sure. I 100% agree. I mean, we were talking about 1s and 20s, and mm-hmm. I almost think the best part of the game is sharing in those moments with the other people, like standing up 
at the table with arms outstretched and you're totally cheering for somebody that did something amazing. Just ass naked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the moment where everyone remembers that they forgot to wear their pants or their underwear. Forgot. <laughs> Just all shirts up top and then mm-hmm. all genitals down nothing, below. Nothing better than strip combat. Every time you mm-hmm. take a hit, pick an yep. article. That's and right. every time you miss, you take off an article. <laughs> <laughs> Or you just take off all of the articles. Yes. There you go. Yeah. See, I'm a little biased. So I've played maybe one or two games, like one individual one-off, another individual one-off, and then one I played two or three sessions of. And the only one that I had significant experience with was probably one of the worst gaming experiences of my life. Everybody brought brought their characters and we were told that we were only allowed to use what we could find in PHP and everything had to be really rigid and all that stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Then the GM's girlfriend shows up half an hour late with her character who is a minotaur yep. at level one. Great. The mm-hmm. le- where the level adjustment was not applied to her experience. This was third edition? Uh-huh. Yeah. So so <laughs> she comes in with this minotaur with like, look, she rolled her own stats and oh, she yeah. basically doesn't have anything below like an, a 14. And then it was just literally an ex- an, a like the most horrifying experience of my life as he just kind of guided her through these dungeons. And then she decided that she wanted to have sex with a fae creature of some kind and then they went into like detail about it and that's when i was like okay fuck you i'm out this isn't happening wow that was online yep yep wild yeah this is before the days of like world 20 this is back when we used to just go on like forums yahoo chat yeah basically you would just go on like forums and they would invite you to like an aol chat or something like that right as much as I decry the online experience, I'm so 100% glad that you did not have that as a physical experience. <laughs> Truthfully, that yeah, sounds super awkward. Do you all remember that book for third edition? Or maybe it was 3.5. It was the book of... The and book it was of basic, erotic fantasy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did it come from that? I know that was a thing. <laughs> they I were never, not using book of erotic fantasy that I know of? They just were erotic fantasy. There was what? rules for like STDs and mm-hmm. different... I liked it though because it definitely like... It, it gave you like charts for like random sexual orientations. I thought that was kind of fun. I liked yeah. What oh, caught me off guard though is that like everybody seemed to think it was just the greatest thing ever where they were like i'm gonna run a game about this and then not a single one of those games was ever fun it was all super uncomfortable and everybody's like oh right because if you're just having phone sex in each other's company it's not fun no one has fun with that nope uh and that is another thing though where if it's an online game then everyone can in fact show up without their pants and underwear on and it's totally chill Mm -hmm. no one gets no one gets awkward it's the only time they didn't yell at me for coming in without my pants Mm. yeah i that's just really that's a weird thing because there's so much there's so many generational cultural and gender things going on with something like that like if you start to you know de pants de pants in front of other people and you want to try to i don't know make love to another player character or seduce the bartender or be the minotaur trying to fuck the fae just don't do it yeah just don't do it yeah plan plan for it in advance let the party know like no surprises like be clear but even then it's probably not necessary in any way yeah that (laughs) just gets to the dirty uncle rating vibe i'm the dirty uncle light goes off there you go i think there's some value to be had in online games though especially in that like if you go like full theater of their mind and you don't worry too much about the like unbelievably complex like overlapping layers that you try to create with the 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 tools that they have Mm -hmm. because you got like all these different layers and you're trying to reveal stuff i mean i fucking get horny for that shit but that's just me being a graphic person i'm terrible at it because i can't like multitask in that way and so for me theater of the mind it works great because then you just describe stuff and they're not like constantly getting distracted and paying attention to other the other people at the table totally And all the roles are like in the open. Everything's tracked. Mm-hmm. It could be like, did I hit or miss last turn? You can literally just pull it up and be like, well, it's right here. You can also do like side conversations. Yes, so you can whispers like, and yeah, you can do the whisper thing and then be like, I'm going to roll for this thing. I love that. I miss that. And I think theater of the mind is a big part of my experience growing up. So I started with second edition mm-hmm. and there was no map 
that we started using at the at the beginning. If you wanted to move somewhere, you can move totally. somewhere. You don't have to worry about six squares. It's just like, was it cool? Yeah, do <laughs> was it. Was it cool? And then you roll some kind of check with your D20, and, and that was... Exactly, and that was one of the things. Like, these are things we're talking about are like trademarks of the modern gaming, but what is it that are the things that stand out about original, like old school gaming? Because it was, it was literally born from a miniature war game. Mm-hmm. Like, all of the groups that were working on it were involved with historical reenactment games. So it, like, started with board and minis and then took a huge u-turn towards theater of the mind almost instantly and now that is the old school way is the theater of the mind even though it was kind of born from the tactical well, you side know, you're asking us but i gotta say uh, for me i never really had an old school experience i don't sure. get i don't get that to me i feel like the only value is in nostalgia and then mm-hmm. if you weren't there for it you can't play ad and d now totally but like what images come to mind from someone who didn't mm. like necessarily experience it if you were to say describe one old-fashioned game like what would you what would you just kind of assume is going on i think for me the first thing that pops into my head is uh, a different class of geek. Yes. That's the first thing I see in my mind mm-hmm. is this, this very specific ultra nerd, the kind of person who did get bullied frequently and where, when bullying was a much bigger problem. Totally. And, you know, this, this like, this like, like you said, like misfits, this refuge of people being like, well, we are complete outcasts. Let's have fun in the way that we want to have fun. Let's theater of the mind this. I'm going to close my eyes and I, <laughs> I want to, like, who is this person? Yeah. <laughs> is it like, uh, are we talking like mole with like a few hairs on one side? Let's give our character descriptions <laughs> yeah. of our old school character. Definitely name, didn't comb their hair. Well, I, my character did. My name is Filbert. Um, Phil- my player oh, is Filbert. Filbert. Uh, he has very uh, pomade therapeutically combed over hair because of the lice problem. Oh, oh yeah. Um, a, a pink Lo- and blue striped collared shirt oh, okay. Mm, okay. with black buttons and a thick pocket holder for the ink of the pens and no pants no pants no pants um huge dick yeah, does does filbert have a voice i mean i, I kind of went like oh i'm filbert but maybe I'm filbert how's it going <laughs> <laughs> i already played some dungeons and dragons let me call my mom and see if we can use my bathroom <laughs> I don't know why I said bathroom. Yeah, Took a weird direction there. <laughs> That's why you do some 3D printing. Don't don't worry. <laughs> uh, so my character is obviously named Edge because he doesn't like to go by Gerald nice. or Jerry <laughs> Edge. Um, so he actually just moved to town, and at his old neighborhood, obviously he was the coolest kid on the block. And oh, everybody yeah. liked him. Uh, and in fact, uh, they, 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 they constantly argued with each other about who would get to hang out with him. But, you know, now he's in this stupid town uh, and he has to hang out with all these losers. But uh, he usually is seen wearing his very stylish, full length leather trench coat. If oh, I, if so I, so good. I have to say, if I knew Edge, I would constantly <laughs> be winding him up by calling him The Edge from U2 <laughs> just to make him angry. Yes. Hey, what's up, The Edge? And then inherently it would all, it would it's obviously Edge, devolve bro. and you would start calling him Bono. And <laughs> nobody would get the joke at that point. Right. A little early for the Bono reference. <clears throat> I like it. Uh, that's great. I, things that pop into my mind when you talk about the old school, old school experience, because I definitely started around the second edition too, um, but it was not in any kind of conventional, like, this is a AV club kind of school thing with, mm-hmm. it was just me and my buddy, like, out in the woods camping in a cabin and trying to figure out how the books worked and just goofing off from there, like, starting with, like, two people. But then, very early on, I got introduced to, like, a game from, like, a very old school, like, day one D&D player. So I got to, like, look into the world of this person who'd been already doing it for over a decade 
and and your character died within two minutes the the thing that comes to mind is characters died really quickly yep. everyone had like henchmen that they could easily just like okay well now i'm playing my squire mm-hmm. uh, so as someone who's obsessed with handmade things i think about it constantly which is what feels handmade about D mm-hmm. and whether it's from the past or as we play it now you know what are the parts that really feel like you either you're this is 100 percent handmade no matter what fundamental part of D or sure. when i play I like to make a homebrew world because mm. a world, you know, Eberron is great, but I didn't write it. I want to make my own thing. I want my players to live in my own. What's handmade about either character creation or, or world creation for you all? Oh, totally. Um, cause you get like the, while the modules are really cool and very fleshed out and well-written, it's like, there's an aspect that's kind of weird being like, I'm playing the same game that other people across the country are playing. Like all the text is the same. Yeah. Cause they, I grew up, it was all homebrew. Everyone had their own world. It yeah. was all stories that they had made up there was never i mean i never touched a module until almost the end of third edition and i would been playing since second edition like it just never came up i looked at them on the shelves i read through them at the game store i thought they were cool but my group just never fucked with that shit Mm. it just didn't happen we all wanted to make something up and tell our own story which doesn't mean that that's a better way to do it it's just how we did it you know what i always found is that that other people's narrative made it awkward for me to read Mm -hmm. so you know, you open the door and inside wafts a steamy breath of a totally. lich and you will not. And I always felt weird making up mm-hmm. my, I would rather just write my own intro sure. to whatever. So like, uh, things like it was, something was always rough hewn mm-hmm. and I, just, I don't know, for some reason that bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it crazy. always so rough hewn? Why can't they just polish this dungeon? Yeah. Sand it geez. down. <laughs> details guys come on no it's definitely weird reading someone else's texts and trying to make them your words yeah one of the one of the big things for me that's uh well always got me excited about other people's games and even like old school games is things like the miniatures and Mm -hmm. the battle maps and things Mm -hmm. like that and it's always been interesting to me i've never been good at it and i've only recently just started doing it and so like painting minis is a brand new crafting experience for me and trying Mm -hmm. to like trying to put uh, elements of what i want into these characters has been a big part of it i'm just like how can i make this look like like something that looks realistic to me and, and, and identifies with me at all, you know, and it's, it's fun and it's weird. And, uh, and I think that's like a big part of games, especially dungeons and dragons, as opposed to a lot of other role-playing games where you've got that like inbuilt, you know, physical manifestation of how battle is supposed to be played out. And then I love seeing people use like props and for non-battle things where like, I'm just going to pull out this thing and show you where people are and all that stuff. Definitely. I think the, like, uh, the renaissance of my life in the miniature world was when, the handmade aspect of it was making sure every player had a miniature that worked for them that was painted properly, often kit bashed to be like, well, there's a cool barbarian, but I, I use two one-handed swords and there's no two one-handed sword barbarians. So you, you chop it up and you make that mm-hmm. and you paint it till it's a finished thing. And it becomes, even when the campaign ends, I've got like a drawer full of like the little trophy miniatures of like these guys had their story told, like they finished. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now they're. I remember as a 12 year old walking into the game store. Mm-hmm. And uh, picking your miniature for your character for mm-hmm. the new campaign, like that was it. Yeah, but it then was there was like cast. nine to choose from. <laughs> yeah, and but that, you know, you spent like half the day obsessing over your character, mm-hmm. the armor they're gonna wear. Yeah, you'd have to chop and cut pieces sometimes, and you'd have to carefully etch off the pants. <laughs> carefully. So, Ever carefully. so carefully, and then you know, painting. Yeah. yeah, mostly flesh tone, obviously. Mostly flesh tone. It's just a lot of flesh. And I would always screw up 
trying to get those eyes right. You know, that one dot of paint with the tiniest paintbrush. Oh, totally. To get the we eyes. We were talking about that. Sometimes I use a time. Sharpie. Like, I've just given yeah. up. I've given up on fucking eyes. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, if I do it just... Yeah. Right, no, fuck it. Fuck mm-hmm. it. I have to, like, rest the paintbrush on my chin, mm-hmm. lean my hand against part of the... Lean my hand against part of the miniature and, like, go in like a fucking brain surgeon looking at the monitor, like, watching their own scalpel pass through the fucking skull. Uh, terrifying. Also... This sounds very mean, but looking back at old Ralpartha miniatures and stuff, they look really fucking stupid. I know they were the best <laughs> at the time. It was it was literally the... I mean, it's, as they went on, there were some gems that were very good. But most of the wizards and the monsters, like, the scale was horrible. Everything mm-hmm. was, like, tiny. The monsters had no depth of, like, height. Owlbears mm-hmm. were the same height as, like, a halfling sometimes. It's just they, did, they weren't, weren't very consistent. And that's, that's just all there was. And I'm spoiled. I'm absolutely spoiled with current miniatures because they're gorgeous. But you go back and look, and it's just fucking goofy. It's like a, it's like tiny tune. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why we have bureaucracy. Miniature height must be small, medium, large. 28 millimeters, one inch bases. Just Mm -hmm. fuck me up with that consistency. Mm -hmm. It's nothing better than an industry standard. (laughs) Yeah, it's no longer just ridiculous. Yeah, see, and that's something that like gets me is because like I I am a sucker for things being consistent, and that's one of the reasons why I never really dabbled with that stuff is because I can consistently paint a, a mental picture. I cannot consistently paint a miniature. Right. <laughs> like, like, totally. Like I'm sitting there like trying to paint a fucking like a shoe on the bottom of this fucking like d- dumbass barbarian, and I fuck it up, and I accidentally like I don't know, it just looks like ass. And, and I'm just, like, terrified that I'm going to, like, pull out my character and then somebody's going to be like, what the fuck is going on with his stupid-ass shoes? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing, though. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it. It's like an intellectual study, but uh, screwing up Pushing is a up huge... the glasses. That you yeah. Uh, miniatures. Uh, let me tell you, uh, yes. But I think uh, making mistakes and learning in your game... And making mistakes in the stuff that you build is part of getting better at building it. Totally. Mm-hmm. So DMs should be making mistakes. Players should be making mistakes. You should mini a, shouldn't be painted well. A trash bin just full of the miniatures you've ruined yeah. to get to the point where you, you're actually able to do it. I would think a good mini is like 10 years worth of work, right? To be able to make that beautiful mini. And so... I might it, have made a poor decision then. <laughs> <laughs> Never too late. I don't know. I'm going to be playing D&D in 10 years. Oh, you'll be playing D anD. Yeah, doing it for a living. True. Yeah. Well, only if these beautiful listeners will uh, will keep furthering our our goals. Absolutely. Um. Well, so we all are learning different crafts at different times. Like, I want to put more work into like crafting terrain at some point, but I don't have any workspace or any time to do it. Like foam cutting, I, I'm really excited about it. I've read all about it, and I know like mm. what kind of proxon tools are going to be the best and what kind of foam to get. But I'm not going to touch it. No fucking. <laughs> uh, do not have any ability to dive in on that one. But. We've all made something at some point, uh, whether it be explicitly D&D related or just something artistic that could be from like, what's something that you've made that's like you're really proud of? Ideally, something about D&D, but it could be like just a map that you drew or a board that happened to set up really well. Like, what has made that moment for where you're feeling like an artist? Strong bad mask. Strong bad. I've seen strong the strong bad, bad mask. mask. I, uh, when I was in middle school, uh, this is before I ever really did anything artistic. I, I, I dabbled a little bit here and there. I had to do things for projects. But we the were mandatory to, art. Exactly. We were supposed to make paper mache masks. And mm. everybody kind of just decided on their own what they were going to do. And I was like, I'm going to do strong bad. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very meticulous about every single feature. I wanted it to be absolutely perfect. And then at a certain point, they had us go through about halfway through the process and walk around to look at everybody's work. And as I started walking around, I realized that five other kids oh, were no. doing a fucking strong bad mask. But here's the thing. 
they looked like shit. Nice. They looked like absolute fucking garbage. And I was just sitting there after each one getting worse and worse. Every single, every time I saw the agony in their faces, I look over at them looking at mine and they lock eyes with me with just that sense of shame. And then when it finally came down to it mm-hmm. and the masks went on the wall, there was one strong bad man. <laughs> one to rule them all. Oh, man. So this was like, what, like... 98 to 2002 were like the Homestar Runner Halcyon days. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing sometime in that. This was right about, right about 2001. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those, those poor other children, what you did to their psyches. Oh, they, they were ashamed. They were ashamed of themselves. You were the, you were the mask uh, alpha. <laughs> I destroyed them with my strong bad superiority. Nice. And now they're probably accountants, nothing but math. <laughs> no, they think they have no artistic talent whatsoever. And I really hope that, that 90% of my childhood has been destroying the future of the, those who surrounded me that's my goal <laughs> fantastic yeah well, you what's your favorite thing that you've done i mean obviously you probably have done way more actual real impressive craft than either of us will ever in our lives i make a lot well that's very kind of you thank you uh you know i'm proud of what i do uh i like it i think the thing that i'm currently really focusing on is uh i don't know subtlety i want to let the wood kind of speak for itself so if it's a, you know, a straight grain and there's a little place for, you know, there's, there's a thing in the woodworking world. You might've heard it. It's called like a river table. Not. So it's like, basically you get a bunch of really cool looking wood that's misshapen and then you pour resin in the middle of it. I've seen those. Oh yeah. And they look really fancy, but the resin isn't practical. So the, you know, the, the, the epoxy resin is just there as like a, 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 a beauty thing, but it doesn't mm. sort of fit with the wood. It almost is contrasting as a purpose. And so mm-hmm. I like to do things where, for example, on this box, there's resin, but, uh, you know, I'm capturing a live edge. It's trying to enhance what's already there rather than juxtapose what's already there. So I guess I'm really happy with finding a way to use epoxy, which people really like, mm-hmm. and people like to have funny colors in it and do cool things with it, but make it something that looks like it was meant to be a part of the piece rather than meant to i just learned so much about wood stuff in one paragraph uh, i also did Sorry. not realize that that was resin i thought that was just a darker shade of the same wood and then i saw that there's a little bit of uh, see-through right there yeah and there's beautifully a beautifully the key in there so probably that key this little bit of wood inside the plastic and cutting that out and putting the wood in and not making any scratch marks on it i'm very impressive Man. but uh yeah i think because i think wood is beautiful and it's natural and it's state and each little piece is unique and so it's about finding the unique piece of wood and like what's going to bring that out wow. and then it's also about the mistakes that you make and using them rather than having or hiding them rather than letting it sort of and really the, the most beautiful thing is just just fucking destroying nature like <laughs> <laughs> i just eviscerate it and yeah. just carve it into something just I want. a grim effigy of one tree's mm-hmm. life turn into Dead. my beautiful dice holder <laughs> where i can shove my magic cards and spill mountain dew Dead, dead wood, and what's great about dead wood is it's hard. Yeah. You use metal on it, you dull your metal. As opposed to living wood, very soft, very, yeah, very yeah. gooey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's practically like uh, like cutting open a jelly bean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Just big wooden gummy worms. And one day we'll be dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll get buried, maybe. And that's when the tree people will use and our bones for crafts. Please right. use my skull as a dice box, please. Yes. I will. <laughs> I would love that. Or you get I sucked will. up. You will all outlive me. <laughs> yeah. You'll get sucked up from the earth into a tree that's growing above you, and then you'll become... And it'll grow tr- skull fruits. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have to start putting in some serious work into figuring out how we're going to get your body away from the, from the improper authorities <laughs> so that we can turn your body into various game It's going to be a morgue heist. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to make your femur into at least a few dice. Also, you know. morgue 
Morgheist sounds like a really cool breed of vampire. I'm, I'm actually going to go ahead and write down Morgheist uh, because that is the coolest like word. Or is it, I know, like it's like cellar. It's the cellar door of dark fantasy, like Morgheist. Oh yeah, Morg- it's like the Bargheist or the, the 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 what are they called? The oh, there's like some kind of giant bestial vampire, and I can't remember what they used to be called. Even though I ran one in my vampire count's army. And it's very Germany sounding, and I can never figure it. it's Vol Volgulf something like that. Oh yeah, I, I just oh, can't remember man. it. Anyway, that was a that was a waste of my brain. Uh, my favorite thing that I've crafted is a tough one, but I like making tabletop game like features. Like I did a, a train heist. Speaking of heists, uh, for orcs, where I actually made like this. I got an engine, you know, like from a toy store. I didn't do that, but I did paint it. And then I had these wooden box, like box cars. And then I made digital maps in Photoshop underneath it. They fit on top of. So you could be inside of it. And there was the train cars and you were solving a mystery of who killed who kind of thing. Um, And there was a dragon that was chasing the train and they had to get up on top of it and fight these Warforged on the roof of the train. So I had the inside of the train and the top of the train, and there was a bridge, and there was Warforged on the bridge, and there was mechanics for the train actually moving down the track mm. as the dragon Ooh. got closer, and there was, like, anchors slowing them down, so for everyone they broke off, it would speed up and get further from the dragon. Jesus. And then when they got under the bridge, there was, like, people jumping down onto a train, and they were jumping up on... Oh, it was so fun. That's amazing. And you couldn't do it without the miniatures. Like, that's just... Mm. You could theater the mind that to death, but it would not be as tactical. No one would crazy. be impressed by theater the minding that. Right. I am deeply impressed by that, <laughs> that yeah, description. The other four kids that did the exact same thing as you, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was... <laughs> just put to shame when put I put shame. my train map on the wall. <laughs> when you, when I agree, though. There... There is a moment, because I think there's a lot to be said for people who craft for Mm -hmm. the games that they play, and that's definitely a moment of it. You know, Mm -hmm. so again, another reason why I love anybody who does thing with anything with foam is the same thing. It's it's not a digital object that can be made for everybody. It's something that you made that you care about that's going to enhance your game. And it's edible. I mean, and that's just its own reward. (laughs) You got all the scraps. I mean, you can't do that with wood. You're going to get sick. Just eat all the foam you want, though. It's fine. Yep. And plus, there's nothing more exciting than when you whip out your handcrafted artisanal glockenspiel and you're just like, look at what I've done. Look what yeah. I made out of foam. <laughs> look, look at my glockenspiel. Ding, ding, ding. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yes, I like seeing the huge, like, stone towers and castles that are cut from foam and you think you're going to, like, you're just like, I want to touch it, but I'm going to not. And it's like nothing. This is like, it weighs like six ounces. Like, what is this? <laughs> and the other thing I love about it, you flip it up on the underside and it's made from, like, a, a Cheerios box mm-hmm. and, like, mm-hmm. you can see all the glue <laughs> dripping. So, I, I, you know, I love that too, sort of the. The outside of it's very much like Hollywood, right? Or movies or whatever. It's like, and then you go to the inside and it's all fake. It's like the Western with the facade buildings in front. Yeah, it's just like us, I guess. We're all just a f- the facade. Way to get dark. Jeez. <laughs> you think it's a goblin hut, but it's still full of Nutella. Like, yeah. The lid comes off. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, working with all this dead wood all the time, it's just all about. Ah, uh, cowboy. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Hello, Slappy D's. La here, saying thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to D20 Questions. It's our newest project, and we're having a lot of fun with it, and I hope you are too. And since it's new, it's a huge favor to us if you can share and download and review. So if you're a fan of the LUQ and want to show your support for Slapdash, this is a really great way to do it. We're also about to launch our Patreon, and some of the rewards are really fun. You can get maps magic items from the podcast, uh, special access to the Discord, mentions on the show, and you can listen to D20 One Side, where me and Zach and our D20 Questions guest of the week sit down and wind down after recording and drinking a few and roll out some really top-notch goofs. Uh, If you've ever laughed whiskey out of your nose, it's something kind of like that. So follow us on social media like Facebook or Twitter and Instagram at SlapTheDash. 
We're doing our one-year Slapdash anniversary giveaway on Twitter right now, so if you want to win about $100 worth of awesome gaming stuff, get over to Twitter and follow the very simple instructions presented there. And with that, let's get back to the questions. That sounds like a perfect time to go into my, my new little segment that I thought would be fun. Uh, we'll see how it goes in the future because it's brand new. This is called Law's History Check, oh, sure. uh, where I'm just going to talk about something in the history of D&D that can be maybe interesting or put things in perspective. Uh, since we're talking about kind of making things on your own, I thought it would be fun to discuss the very beginning of the company. Hmm. Um, so TSR, which is Tactical Studies Rules, uh, which began in 1973 by Gygax and Don Kale. I have really bad handwriting. Already I'm wondering, is it tactical studies, comma, rules? Like, tactical studies, rules! Yeah, explanation or points. That's it? a forgotten part of TSR is the three explanation points at the end. <laughs> right, right. It's spelled with a Z. <laughs> with a one? There's got to be a one in there, too, in that line of exclamation marks. Uh, it's Don K, I apologize. But the amount of money that they used to start their project, which was their second time trying to raise the money, was $2,400. And put into the inflation calendar... In modern day, if you wanted to start Dungeons and Dragons, it would cost approximately thirteen thousand eight hundred and forty-eight dollars. Not bad. Which is doable. Yeah. So if you ever feel like you want to start a thing that will change the entire world forever, you <laughs> only need, you know, fifteen grand. Uh, when I thought about that, I was like, "Wow, that's that's a pretty good used car." Right. That's like I could actually get <laughs> that to is work. My car. <laughs> right. I could I could either get a Prius or I could start a revolution of creative storytelling and gaming. Right. I go Def. with the Prius because I mean, it's, it's it's such just good so, so environmentally conscious. I have to wonder like what kind of things even through the goggles of inflation would be so much easier today because they were literally printing these things off with like typewriters and and sticking them together in Gary's basement. Like today there's so many more printing options. Like at home the printer I have in my bedroom which is a piece of shit is probably mm. Like, a hundred times more top tier than anything they had access to. A copy of Maya, a new computer, a mm -hmm. uh, 3D printer, mm -hmm. and uh, a really good just normal, like, paper printer, and bam, you've got a, you've got a business. Yeah, mm -hmm. and maybe uh, maybe just access to drive-through RPG. Right. Having the ability to buy digital files, like, whoa. Yeah, no, no, no fucking You're shit. not having to staple, and like, mini phone books and mail them to game stores. I mean, I think that, that you know, being... It was a very original idea, I would think, at the time. I mean, maybe I'm just remembering history wrong. Uh, and there are a lot of people making games No one's now. ever misremembered history. Yeah, never. No never. <laughs> There's been a, it's been a lot of historical-type games for a long yeah. time. But yeah. This was the apex kind of of the merchandise version of the fantasy story. Uh, what I think about now, it's like uh, there's this game called Hero Kids, and so it's like, and it's on Drive Through RPG, mm -hmm. and it was made by one guy. That sounds know. like a Saturday morning cartoon. Well, what's great about it is I have a son; he's six, and he's obsessed with it, and he loves it, and the rules are really simple. Nice. And that's what you want to cultivate in your toddlers: obsession. Exactly. And then <laughs> I get them out of their pants early, of course. <laughs> wow, that went bold. <laughs> Didn't see it coming back there. <laughs> Look, have you uh, ever tried to get a kid ready for bed? Getting those pants off is a nightmare. Have you? Or yeah, getting them on in the I, morning. I didn't know that. Yeah, I have, a, I have a two, two, two goddaughters. I don't oh. think it's ever... I don't think that's ever changed. I really never want to get my pants on in the morning, and neither does sure. my son. And it's sure. just, you know. I think we as a society just need to agree that we're not going to wear pants anymore. He learned it yeah. from watching you. Yeah. <laughs> you, Dad! But what were you saying about your kids' pants? Well, what I was saying was that uh, Hero Kids is a really great way to get into the game, and uh, was the first sort of foray into it. And so I just think about 
this is a person who had much less than thirteen thousand dollars and right. made something that had impact. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, thirteen thousand seems like a lot. It does to, to me. me. I'm I've been poor forever. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's like that's like advertising money. Well, and keeping in mind that Marshall Short, uh, one of our first guest, did mm-hmm. uh, Burnable Heroes with basically no money, right? And with his he, home computer and years of art experience. And now he makes ten thousand dollars a month through Patreon, and yeah. that idea is just insane. Yeah, that's kind of. Uh, I mean, it's hard not to be a little bit jealous. <clears throat> I think. Because oh no, that's actually what this pod. This I know we said that the theme here was history and like old. No, it's he. We're here to be angry at Marshall Short for his overwhelming success. Honestly, yeah. couldn't couldn't wish it on a better guy. Oh, yeah, he is a great a guy. Art. He is a great guy, and his art just blows my mind. Yeah, he's so good at what he does. I think I think that's a really interesting conversation in terms of handmade, though, because mm-hmm. it's something that. I mean, he has found a particular way. He makes digital art mm-hmm. that anybody can buy for free. And, it's, 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 and that's the reason why he can make so much money. If you make a physical object, mm-hmm. there is no way that you can reach that kind of totally. audience to even come close. Well, and it's to like philanthropic. I mean, he's like giving yeah. them away. He's like, just use these. Play them yeah. in your game. You have access to them. You can give me money if you want to get some extra goodies. Right. You don't mm-hmm. have to. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's why he's people, done so well. Yeah, and enough people do that he makes 10 grand, uh, you know, whatever. So Don't need more. Not so, <laughs> yeah. So not particularly philanthropic, but I mean, he does. Like he's got, yeah, if you're, see the thing, I think we touched on a little bit when we were all kids playing D&D, I had no money. I mean, I showed you my first character sheet, and it's a Xerox copy. Yeah, we are looking you know, at a piece of history right yeah, now. Yeah, this is me as a twelve-year-old. <laughs> yeah, and, I was a, I but, was, that was a flashback for me. Yeah, it's and the reason why it's a Xerox copy is because I couldn't afford to buy the D and D versions of these that were green. No one. Could. Can you do me a favor yeah. and tell me who this person is? Oh yes, yeah, that's of great. course. This that. is uh, this is Gawain because of whatever. Right. And uh, he was a falconer. So in the good old days, rangers had yep. familiar still. Mm-hmm. So he was a mm-hmm. falcon. Uh, so it's a human ranger because, I don't know, I guess I thought playing a, another race would be weird. I don't know. I don't right. know why I picked a human. Maybe there was some, like, you got an extra proficiency. Because of the book card. I think it was just because you were a hardcore racist at 12. That, and that so. was it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And uh, I, I drew his little, like, symbol that's the uh yeah what's mm. the god it starts with an e alon uh alona yeah that's gotta be yeah alona right yeah, there. there it is and oh, my 12 year old scrawl at a, including number of siblings siblings one one that's a big box like, yeah that's what's a the big maximum <laughs> i mean i'm sure there's like some halfling that has like 98 cousins and I hate you all. So we actually missed it at the I'm beginning. I'm leaving you. We actually missed it at the beginning, but this is the perfect opportunity for us to ask a question that we ask all of It occurred to guests. me a while ago, but I just Ooh. didn't bring it. Um, what? Tell me about your first experience playing Dungeons and Dragons. I played D and D with a group of band geeks. Mm-hmm. That's uh, never happened before. Trombone player. I played clarinet. Mm. Uh, one guy was a piano player, and one guy was such a misfit he played no. He instrument. hated marching band. That and piano yeah, player. He's, and those are classes, yeah. Trombonist? Yeah, those are classes. Trombonist yeah. class. All human. Yeah. Clarinetrist. Clarinetrist yeah. and uh, piantrist. Tube rom- tube romancer. <laughs> tube romancer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so, and um, they were all model railroad guys, wow. except for me. I was the only one that wasn't. Like, you they were all, the outcast. They were the, they were the I was the outcast. of railroads. Mm-hmm. I was in the theater, right? So I uh, did that, and they were all, we were all in the band together, except for one. Basically, and we were- And that's how you learned how to railroad. Yeah. <laughs> we, were all outca- we were all outcasts, and uh, and uh, we were all 12, mm-hmm. and- and this was a way to spend hours with each other without watching TV or playing video games. And our parents were cool with that because totally. e- even then everyone was a little bit nuts about screens. I like yeah. to think that they were secretly hoping you were summoning demons. 
you know, just that you could follow in their footsteps. Yeah, and I was just after the satanic panic, so I kind of don't know what my parents were thinking, other than they weren't particularly religious. Yeah, this is a, a weird shadow of Law's history check, and one I almost put down, but just to throw in, like, even after the whole satanic panic thing, uh, Gary Gygax was a very, very devout Jehovah's Witness and was a very common churchgoer. No yeah. yeah. That nice. was that's the, that's, that's a great nice. fact. Why did I say nice? That's not a nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's just <laughs> oh, part lovely. of Gary. Oh, what a sweet fucking yeah, bro. Up thank, top for Jehovah's Witness. Thank God. Yeah. I just, uh, I can imagine Gary Gygax knocking on doors, and but instead of peddling Jehovah's Witness, mm-hmm. he would just hand them a player's handbook. Well, it was his backup. He had like the Jehovah's Witness pamphlet. It's like, well, if you're not interested in that, you want to buy this, this staple <laughs> and, and half laminated. And funnily enough, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone was interested in the second thing. Oh yeah! Oh cool dice, and that's, and that's how Dungeons and Dragons was born. Yes. Yeah, With more that, more than one god, you say? <laughs> more, even better. I like it. More gods, more money for the page. And I think you know a lot of players that I play with. There's like, oh, I read Lord of the Rings and I got into D and D. For me, it was the Robert Jordan books. Okay, that makes so, sense. So uh, we tragic. all read Eye of the World, and it's like we got to play this D and D thing. Mm-hmm. So, I like Eye of the World. Um, that sounds pretty standard. I I have not enjoyed Eye of the World so far. I didn't say I enjoyed it. I said I read it. <laughs> okay. uh, I did actually like the first three. Uh, hated the rest. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah there was a lot end. of crossover between the railroad people mm-hmm. especially like in like the you know late 80s early 90s i'm really uh, and D. i'm surprised that we didn't play warhammer 40,000 instead you see, I, I did I, in the early days of warhammer because for yeah. some reason in the young mind of a D player the idea of small things being representations of big things is just like the fucking coolest thing it's like trains awesome yeah. uh, action figures awesome mm-hmm. anything small that i can use and pretend it's a big thing fucking phenomenal. stupid looking stick that you i can know, pretend is a gun mm-hmm. done here's maybe <laughs> one thing though railroad people are into being sort of like the singular person in control of a train line <clears throat> and i think oh, D yeah. folks are about like the singular focus towards a character mm-hmm. that you embody but there's right? also yeah the, the painting war- and gluing them. Mm-hmm. It's like a, but warhammer is more like i want to be a military mm genius see for me D was all about trying to find ways to have sex with random characters in the stories so i don't, I don't get this. right like, in this the flabyrinth yeah in the, the flabyrinth, flabyrinth. <laughs> <laughs> oh come sit on this couch it's called the mighty skinatar <laughs> very good don't worry it's all sweaty in here <laughs> uh, i was gonna say though there was like the the model train was one but there was also like the the model airplane mm-hmm. um the glue sniffers as we called them no mm-hmm. one ever called them that's not a thing um, God, I had something so good that you were just touched on and I was going to say, and I dropped it. That's okay. It was going to be real relevant. So I've got a question for you. Mm. Yeah. We've been talking an awful lot about the, the extant, you know, physical things in, in, in crafting and D&D and all that stuff. I've got this problem whenever I'm running a game and it's, it's probably one of the biggest problems for me because I love craft. He just poops his pants. I just keep, <laughs> I just can't stop. Um, Okay, so I love crafting as a mm-hmm. concept. I love the idea of having a skill, a trade, something you do well. I love the idea of professions. And so in D&D, often I really, really, really desperately want to have crafting as a thing. Mm-hmm. I have never once in my entire life played any RPG ever in the history of ever that has had a crafting system that was interesting, fun, and actually made you feel like you were doing something meaningful. Mm-hmm. It is the shittiest of shit. How can you make the players feel like they're making something? Like, I want to be the guy who crafts his magic sword mm-hmm. and where it's something you work up to. And it's, it just, but what, how can you do that? And how can you make it manifest in the rules and in the way you play? Uh, remove the time restraints on the rules in growing crafting. I would That's say, it. yeah, I think that would be big. I think another thing would be the problem I always have with crafting is that uh, it is a solitary 
thing. Mm-hmm. So all the four, three, four, five other players, like, what do they do while you and the DM are like working out the narrative of you crafting your sword? So in any way that you can sort of help each other or need each other, so if the DM is able to tie together somebody else's skill with crafting it, so you kind of mm-hmm. do it as a group that you know where it becomes part of the story of your collective that that might be a way to make it happen sure but, and and there i don't think there necessarily need to be rules for that at all i think it's just becomes part of the narrative i like having like a couple it. just to kind of measure like quality and get an idea yep. for like how much they have to invest but it's a downtime thing oh yeah there should well, be some roles definitely so i've always loved the idea of mm-hmm. you know the game's monster hunter yeah i, I mean i from an audience standpoint i've never touched one the concept of monster hunter is fascinating i find mm-hmm. the game's just horribly boring but yeah. the concept of like i'm gonna go out slay this giant beast and then craft its skin into my armor yeah i want that feeling where like so i've always loved the idea of like a game where the monsters are always like way too hard like they punch way above their cr kind of thing mm-hmm. and where killing them is extremely difficult and requires tactics and planning and then mm-hmm. when you win you get a component to build something later yeah i've definitely gotten to utilize that in games even like just a couple years ago having having a wizard that was a. Uh big on making magic items but really it was mm. just like if you have downtime and you write up what you want to do when you spend the required money even in the old days it was like you had to spend experience to make magic items that's right like you have to trade your 12th level in order to get like the plus two flaming greatsword that you made mm. um but i just like if it makes sense that they could finish in that amount of time and they give the prerequisites and the money like that's fine but like, how do you stop that from feeling like you're just giving them a reward as per you know giving them well, something in a chest because they're make they they took the time to describe what they wanted they wrote mm. it up they gave you an idea you could like mitigate the power balance of it Mm -hmm. like so you want i made a sword for because my wizard basically the way that the barbarian joined the party was i technically hired him to be my bodyguard Mm. because i was a very like lawful evilly sort of sure gonna be a lich someday grown up i'm gonna be a lich someday and it wasn't even my choosing i always end up playing in old games wizards that end up being liches and i'm like when did i was just gonna play a normalized wizard (laughs) this stinks oh anyway don't let them know me i'm evil but for part of the big payment uh i we had killed a very powerful pyro hydra and i forged one of its large fangs into Mm -hmm. a sword for them that's pretty fucking cool um i gotta say though like the whole idea of always ending up a lich it's like every single time i take (laughs) one of those personality tests i always come out slytherin i took one that was like what, what what character are you from uh, Beverly Hills 90210 Slytherin yeah I do, I don't every time hmm. what kind of glazed donut are you Lich Lich <laughs> yeah lich. well we're all a little bit of a psychopath right nice try shithead you're a lich <laughs> get out of the donut shop daddy <laughs> but my barbarian is here I love I love that idea though the, the the idea of making a craft as a part of the game and a part of the world because it's, I mean, it's one thing to just as a flavor be like, oh yeah, that, that wooden duck you carved during, during your last, you know, short rest or whatever, or long rest, you know, here, and here's like three gold. And it just, it doesn't feel good. The artificer that I'm playing right now in a Dragon Heist game is fantastic. I actually yeah. really feel like I make, I got to make modifications to my giant crossbow. It has a spring loaded bayonet on the front of it. Um, my, my familiar, I took the spell find familiar and I just got to make my own little metal, ca- like spider crab guy who has the oh, same exact stats so as a normal familiar. It's in no way, but in flavor, it's this tiny little robot. That's pretty fucking cool. And you have an ability to summon turrets as a, as an artillerist artificer. And so my little spider turns into a cannon. Oh. Like, <laughs> and because I learned how to make bags of holding, I can actually flavor that he has a dimension in him where this cannon pops out. And it's it's great. I almost like the idea of like modification points. Like you can only have so many in a given item. Mm. And so you could buy like a normal item. Like, like a crossbow. Ben 
bend it but not break it exactly but, so yeah. it's like you have this many points you could either put that in damage or you could put it in mm -hmm. range or you mm -hmm. could put it in reload or whatever sure. and so you're constantly like kind of shifting them and yeah. so like it all it takes is like any long rest and you can be like all right so i'm going to remod this so yeah. instead of being a range thing it's going to be all damage but it's going to shorten the range to like this just a swiss army adventuring weapon exactly you know that reminds me a lot of uh like materia from like final fantasy 7 sure. what's mm. to say you couldn't have any like random magical item that you would get have slots yeah and then sure. uh you could sort of find something or use something or get something from someone else and you can add it to your weapon to get a particular bonus and then if you roll like it breaks or it doesn't work and then you still have your you know your weapon and that's the tricky part for me is because as we've been talking we've gotten farther and farther away from the actual feeling of crafting mm. and building something in closer and closer to the idea of modifying an existing idea well i've always thought when in doubt narrative wins out in D and D, mm -hmm. so that's just because it rhymes. Yeah, no, I just, I, no, I really think that that uh, if you make a story about crafting your weapon and you share it with all of the players, either in the moment or you email it to them before the game, and then you make the role at the game. I, I don't know. I think that could that could really lead to to it being a moment where so you had your time to really craft a story around your weapon, mm -hmm. and then so you really feel satisfied because you've made a story, you've made part of your collective story, right? And then everyone gets to hear the story and go, "Wow, man, that was cool!" And then you make the roll, and if you fail, if you roll a one, everyone's like, "Whoa!" See, and with the the artificer, the whole thing was like he was making lots of unguents and concoctions and things because they had to run a bar. If you play Dragon Heist, you run a bar. It's mm -hmm. really yep. fun. And they wanted him to make a signature house cocktail, and I rolled shit. <laughs> first one even though i had like a fucking plus nine um and there was this whole hilarious scene where someone was like trying out the stuff that i've been making and i came out of the basement like no don't drink that one <laughs> what was the name of this cocktail i'm that's uh, the... i had it in it's all everything was in german um it was a uh, beer and brat beer which and is brat. basically like bread and butter i think or bread and jam uh, bread and jam we took the bread and jam we put it in the Goldschlager. He's, he's made fantasy and like Adderall so he can stay up all night working on his projects. <laughs> to see Adderall. And fantasy like super strong like dark roast espresso so he just lives on Adderall all night and then drinks super powerful coffee in the morning. <laughs> I dare you to try this. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but one thing that you can do as a DM if you want, like the thing is if someone's like, well, I spent this time and another story in writing making this cool ass weapon or this like long sword or this full plate armor for mm -hmm. my, my friend. They really wanted to have like a mechanical bonus, yeah. Mm -hmm. And because they're still like a second level character, and they really just have like a hammer and an anvil, like there's no real way to have it be like a magical thing. Right. Mm -hmm. You have like, let's just say in that campaign, you have a, a one that you get. It's like, okay, you made this really cool sword. You did a great job. You rolled well. It's not a magical sword, but for this campaign, it has a one in it. And like at a really crucial part, if you miss by like one. Just give it to him. Like, give him that yeah. float. It doesn't have to become a plus one weapon, but in the story, it has a very soft one attached to it. Yeah. Okay. Or if they're about to get a killing blow against them, but their full plate that their best friend made them that happens to be just like a little cut above the normal grade. Uh, it's like, well, I hit a 19, but my armor class is 18. It's like, you know what? It just missed. Mm, I like that. I think that would be great. I, I think the idea also of a character holding a weapon, like even if the weapon ends up being a failure, like that you could try to work on it again. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that would be... Yeah, I think that sounds like a, lot, a lovely idea. And if you already have like that little bit of like your spirit in it, then it's like that much easier to enchant. Like I've always liked the idea that it's like the dwarf spent a long time making this non-magical mace, but he like really put his heart and his back into it. And then the wizard touches it and he's like, oh yeah, I can enchant this easy. This has all kinds of soul in it. I well, love the idea of like a sympathetic resonance mm -hmm. that, that like this is just in tune with a soul. Well, just to get back to our original idea of, of handmade, I think that makes a lot of sense because I think the only thing I can really say about something that's handmade when I pick up something that somebody spent so much time on, I can it's almost like I can feel them sure. in the work, right? Sure. And you pick it up, you can feel the work. 
And that to me is the only reason to ever have anything that's handmade is that you can feel the other person inside of it. Well, it's like you get like the warning book that's been on the shelf for like 20 years and like just the feel of the pages and the smell versus like the factory sealed brand new book off the shelf. Mm -hmm. There's just history is sunken into it. And you can, my life sterile. If I could just avoid feelings entirely, that would be ideal. Totally. (laughs) Just, just a plastic sheet over everything. (laughs) Perfect. In the blabyrinth. Glove sex. Yeah. Gloved. <laughs> Show me the talcum. Bring me the talcum powder. <laughs> Just a, she- uh, a, a, a thin sheen of powders. nothing. Ah, uh, this thin sheen of powders and plastics. Powders and uh, plastics. All of the fleshy bricks have like little tiny like pube bushes just growing oh. out of them in the <laughs> labyrinth. Uh, oh, that's upsetting. Well, what do you think, based on looking at the old ways of gaming with the miniatures <clears throat> or the theater of the mind, the Photoshop things, or the, the not the Photoshop, Photoshop the right. photocopied mm. character sheets versus like the the foam cut 3D maps and the Roll20 online play? What do you think was the biggest jump in in progress, whether you view it as actual like good progress or just impressive progress in gaming between then and now? Because some would say, like, I don't make maybe the online aspect or maybe even just like the ability to like 3D print or or just print out your own shit. Like, what was it? What was the biggest jump? Hmm. Technologically, socially. I mean, there's so many different factors. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my first instinct is to say that one of the biggest things was uh, just non not D&D. Things that weren't D and D, finally other games, market share. You know, the idea that there were enough people into it that there was justification for other games, um, and I think that that kind of thing forced D and D to adapt. And I think that's why Fifth Edition exists the way it does now, is because Fourth Edition and Fourth Edition kind of paved way for that. That it's like, well, if we're gonna do if we're gonna do something, we better do that part right. And so mm-hmm. they focus so much on the combat and the mechanics, and then that birthed the fifth edition totally and it's funny because like it was the other games that predated D. like there was other kinds of games before it but it caught on and that coattailed the other kinds of games for other themes Mm -hmm. to to fly forward in popularity as well which is really interesting you know i hmm, i i I think that's a really great thought i think there's a lot about that that really i was nodding my head very aggressively that whole time Mm -hmm. um the one thing i'm thinking too that um might be different, and I think it relates to the story, is that in the old D&D world, mm-hmm. you're always prepared to have your character die, right? Sure. And in the new D&D world, where Critical Role gets how many viewers every episode? I mean, could Too you imagine... Unfathomable. Could you imagine Mercer killing off any one of those characters without sort of pre planning it with anybody? It is always... So characters live much longer. Your character goes from level 1 to level 20 if it wants to. And if you don't want your character to die... like, And maybe that's just the games that I'm involved in. And that, But it seems like there's less character death and more story... It, it's sort of about a story arc more than it used to be in the good old days. I think that's a planning choice. I think a good GM can plan ahead and make sure that the enemy is not going to be too hard and not going to be too easy. And there's just enough of a buffer with death saves that you can Mm. kind of protect yourself a little bit. So maybe the game is more balanced then. I mean, I would say hands down, just the mechanical function of the game is so much tighter and so much more controlled. And you can get those nuances. But even in the old days, like I will say like after level 10... Uh, everyone could reincarnate their characters very easily. It was yeah. not hard. Literally, there was rules for every temple. If you had a couple thousand gold, you could mm-hmm. come back to life. You could do a wish spell. Yeah, if you wanted. And that's to. like the apex. But I mean, <laughs> even then, like around tenth, you could afford just a reincarnate or a resurrection. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they were available. I knew a lot of old characters that died all the time because it was easy to die, and just 
got paid to brought back you have like you've amassed an unfathomable amount of wealth this all this gold from every dungeon you flipped upside down yep that's true not that much to spend it on i had a, a dm once that did really funny thing where if you died and resurrected you rolled on like a chart like mm-hmm. a d100 chart and there would be something weird or different about nice. you like you grow a third arm you'd be green or your mm. hair would be a different color it would fall out or you wouldn't remember your name I like that yeah that's pretty cool I, that's kind of like the druid reincarnate though where it's like well it turns out you're a kobold now <laughs> yeah it's kind of i think one of the biggest progresses though is like you think about the old ways, like you're going over to your friend's house, you've got a backpack like ripping to the seams with sheets of graph paper and heavy books oh. is digital files. Digital. I can fit nine editions of 28 different RPGs, all 300 pages on something the size of my flipping thumb. That's an important mm-hmm. thought, though, because here's the thing. I can. Mm-hmm. I won't. Sure. I hate with fiery passion using PDFs Me to too. play a fucking game. Mm-hmm. I can grab a book, put my hand on a random part of the book, and then open it, and I'm on the page I want to be, or sure. within a few flip page flips. Getting to that point in a PDF, it's like I get the bookmarks open, and I pull to it, and I go to the thing, and sometimes it doesn't load properly, and then, like, I can't easily, like, manipulate the thing in my hand. And maybe I'm just getting older, and the world's passing me by, but I feel like you will never find a point where a PDF can replace a book until you've got the, the like, hyper-advanced, like, three-dimensional, sure. like, projection like I want the Iron Man shit but, but for the, D&D just but the, the minority but report the, the, the physicality though like you can have all of this information on this tiny mm-hmm. little thing oh, and the amazing. access is there like it's it's all the information I use the shit out of that stuff for planning because I can't find enough desk space to have all the books that I want mm-hmm. open to plan I don't even use a book anymore like I just refuse mm-hmm. to oh, look at me oh, no I'm not it's not because I haven't memorized it's because I'm but think in like LUQ have I ever mm-hmm. once opened no, a book not at all let's be honest Law's gotta memorize he's kind of a wizard I don't yeah it's mostly the saving throws on different spells sometimes I get them mixed up because mm. they don't make sense in my head I'm like this should be a wisdom save why is it constitution yeah. <laughs> I've been it, running into that a lot with 5th edition where I'm just like really that, that, I okay. like that they made more saves though because it yeah. used to just be fucking dex con or or wisdom mm. and like that's it mm. and now he's like yes make a charisma save that's awesome you're like exerting your force of presence into resisting the spell that's fantastic that. thank you 5th edition for being good <laughs> yeah 6 saves 6 stats yeah 5th edition really is nice I don't know to, it's almost in a funky way it seems like 5th edition is a little bit more like what I remember from 2nd edition I mean yep. obviously there's no Thaco right but uh, there's more role playing baked into character yeah. creation. Part of like edition. filling out your character sheet is literally deciding where you came from and how you act. Like, yeah. What? what? <laughs> cool. And I, and I think that's great. I, you know, I, I think all the RP elements and maybe it's just, I, I've touched on it many times how storytelling is a huge part of my game. I, I think those are the things I appreciate most about the new game is uh, that storytelling elements are almost inherent in it. And, uh, I just think D&D is so unique. In fact, it's one of the few things, and granted, again, we talked about people playing online, but it's one right. of the few places where you are collectively telling a story. And yeah. I think that is 100% amazing. And if you find the right group of people, you can tell any story. Like, if you want to play a game mm-hmm. where you're all erotically charged sentient plants, like, Without you just your go pants for on? it. Yep. Totally, totally do it. it. Um, I'll grow hey, into you. You grow into me. Well, I've got a favor to ask. Yeah. Um, can we play a game where we're erotically charged sentient plants? Ooh, yes. <laughs> Just wait for chapter eight. <laughs> I want to be the lotus flower. Mm, Floating like in the water, let me come closer to you. Swish, swish. Welcome to my lily pad. Mm. <laughs> so, speaking of the evolution of gaming throughout the years, our final question that we're going to ask with a lot of our, our, of our guests is, what is the change that you would like to see happen to gaming in the distant future? Like, what's something that you would love to see come to fruition? And I want to mm. add to that. Yeah. What do you not want to change? Oh boy! Mm-hmm. Either one, or we're both. talking a lot about things we don't we don't like no more, like the new fangle get off my lawn stuff. Let's let's yeah, let's dip that in there. 
So this is not necessarily D&D related. I'd like people to try more handmade stuff just to remember that marquetry where you're actually cutting stuff by hand and inlaying things. It's basically what a laser printer would do, right? I'm staring at somebody's logo that was laser etched. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really cool. Someone would have to take 35 years to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, But not to be intimidating, I think everyone should try to make something. And if it's awful, that's part of the process of getting better at making things. I think what I want to not change about D&D is to me it always seemed like a place where if you were other you were welcome and there are a lot of players out there I'm sure who might be uncomfortable with a different type of person playing D&D but I just I always want D&D to be uh, a welcoming place for different kinds of people that's always been uh, something that I've always, you know, I've seen it as sort of like this place where no matter who you were, you can come and join and tell a story with me and with other people and let's make something together that's cool. Absolutely. Unless Unless you're really annoying. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck annoying people. They can stay home. Yeah. Those people who wear their pants. Right. We have one rule at this table. Uh, But, and I feel, and this is maybe a slightly uh, controversial analysis of that, is from the beginning, it's always been stated that like D&D is for all like the outcasts and welcoming everyone. Whereas historically, there's a lot of his, like evidence of that not necessarily being true. But I'm glad mm-hmm. to see that now that really, really is a thing. Because people will say like, no, no, everyone was always welcome to my table. But like you go no. back and hear the stories from the people who were not, you know, just like white dudes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> trying no, to get involved no. in D&D. And they do have a lot of horror stories because they yeah. weren't welcome as, as they thought they were these paragons of welcoming. I know um, a, a lot of women who play or people of color who play who mm-hmm. felt mansplained or who felt like uh, it was a very sort of aggressive yeah, way to corralled start and corralled exactly talk down to yep. please anybody out there who is not cis male play some fucking D please as much as you can right and cis males play some non cis males in your characters yeah mm-hmm. play a woman do Why it not? they're awesome half the world you know one thing <laughs> not to super shout out league of ultimate questing but there's a they character right a character a non-gendered character in this story right yeah that's Harthax. yeah it's not part of the story but that is part of the character yeah and uh, that's really great right so mm-hmm. i just want dd to continue to or to uh, continue to involve into a place where everyone can come and join couldn't agree more yep that's a nice that's a nice finish i would I, I think it, yeah that's a great point but i think it should like let's be aggressively enforcing this <laughs> like don't be afraid to like yell at people because they're not being welcoming enough i think it's our role at this point to give up our spot at the table yeah yeah that's yeah cool do you have an outro for us uh well i mean well first we gotta we gotta go through some housekeeping oh let's do some delicious housekeeping so we got a lot of stuff coming up very soon it should be pretty much coinciding Today. with the release of this yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh the launch of the patreon that's gonna be happening this friday this brand new website that we have both spent a lot of time on this week. If you guys haven't checked it out, please do. It's just the same website, slapdashstudios.com. Yep, all the same content. It's so pretty now. And it's very organized. And all the players and download features are really well to mm-hmm. easy to browse. There's more photos than there used to be, and that's great. Um, you can follow all our Instagram and Twitter all on one page. It's nice. Yep. Um, Spend your money. Yeah. yeah please. <laughs> uh, if you check out Slap the Dash on Twitter, we have our contest, our one-year Slapdash anniversary contest happening right now where you can win $100 in gaming swag. Uh, there is a dice prison and condition trackers made by Item Woodworks by hey, hey. very good friend Kyle here. Mm. Um, they're gorgeous. We have five League of Ultimate Questing stone tile coasters. These things are heavy and badass looking. They've got the logo of the crest on there. And you also get a set of really fine aluminum metal dice. They're awesome. They're dark silver, polished red. They look great. Check out those photos. All you have to do is like, follow us, subscribe, tag a friend. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and please, I mean, in addition to that, just just like follow us and subscribe anyway. Like, yeah. um, interact on Twitter if you've got questions, if you want to know more about the show, if you want to know more about anything that's going on, feel free to reach out to us. We're always available. Um, we've got three different people who manage the uh, social media, so we're all really like immediately gung ho about getting out there for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and like we just had issue where like just after changing the website, we had some people who weren't able to get access to the to the feed properly, right. and, yeah. and we were we were able to get that resolved in in minutes because you know we got that feedback, which was you let us know super good. Um, and so in addition to that, I'd say, uh, if you ha- if you like this stuff and you want to see more of it, go check out League of Ultimate Questing. That is our other podcast. Uh, super fun idea. If you, if you like the idea of adventuring as a major league sport with fake in-world fantasy commercials and announcer play-by-play, please check it out. You'll love it. Um, and I also want to say, check out Item Woodworks. This guy's stuff is unbelievable. Yeah, he's on Etsy, right? Yeah, or my own website, itemwoodworks.com. Great. That's the best place. Mm-hmm. Good. Thanks so much. I appreciate the uh, hat tip, gentlemen. You're the best. I love your work. But uh, beyond that, I hope you guys return to us here at D20 Questions next time, where we give the ochre jelly a pink belly. Mm-hmm.